0: Welcome to the Power Podcast and our 2020 theme, Power Perspective. I'm your host, Malia Warner, and today is episode 70, Planting Seeds, What If I'm Not Getting Results? Hi, welcome. Thank you for being here. Do you ever feel that you are working hard and not getting results? In the meantime, it seems that everything your neighbor or your brother-in-law touches turns to gold. If this has never happened to you, then you're the neighbor or the brother in law we're talking about that drives us crazy. So you don't need this podcast. Go away. Go enjoy your bumper crop of success and leave the rest of us here to commiserate together. I've been thinking about this podcast topic because over the past couple of weeks, I've had a few people message me or say to me, Oh, you've written a book that's getting published. Oh, that's so great. And I hear something behind their words because I have been in the same place so many times. I have been going to the writers' conferences, the writers' classes, following my favorite authors online and watching everybody else finish their book and get published and have their book in their hands, which I'm still waiting for. I'm still waiting for the print copy so that I can hold it in my hands And it seems that for so long, I have been turning and turning the will and working and working and working and thinking, when is it going to be my turn? Will this ever happen for me? For one, will this book ever be finished? If I had a nickel for every time I asked myself that question or anyone in my family asked me this question, when are you ever going to be finished? You're still working on it. When are you ever going to finish it? I know already It. Is a long process, at least for me. I'm slow. I am definitely the tortoise in the story. But because of this, I think that I have gained some perspective about working and planting seeds and waiting for results that I think it's valuable for us to discuss. I think it's easy to look, and I think we all do this, to look at other people at the moment that they're successful and think, oh, that just happened, you know, the overnight success, they wrote a book and voila, here it is published, they got discovered. And here they are in a movie, they started a business and wham, bam, they were able to sell it for a million dollars, whatever the situation may be. It just always is easy to think that someone else's success has happened quickly for them. And I know I would feel a lot of envy for people who were in that stage who, had something finished and it looked like they were having success with it. And I wanted desperately to be where they were. And I felt like it was taking so long, so I must be doing it wrong. Or maybe I wasn't good enough and it would never happen for me. So why even bother? Why even keep trying? And the goal of today's podcast episode is to gain perspective about work and results. And hopefully by the end of this 20 minutes, you will see your efforts and your results in a new way, which will make you feel more content with your efforts and also more motivated to keep going, to keep sowing your seeds. In my life, I have planted so many things that have not grown. When my husband and I moved to Arizona, We moved into a house with an, already well, first we moved into an apartment that didn't have any kind of garden area, any kind of a yard. And then we moved into a house that had landscaping already done. And in Arizona, desert scaping is the big thing to conserve water. So yards usually have, if they have grass at all, have a small amount of grass. And then everything else has rocks and cacti and really weather hardy plants. And I was going to the grocery store paying money to buy zucchini, which just went counter to every principle that I have in my DNA because I grew up in Utah, where people give away zucchini for free by the truckload. And it was so hard for me to go to a store and have to pay money for zucchini and I decided that I wanted to grow zucchini in my own garden. And so I found a place to the side of the house and I cleared all that desert scaping rock away. And of course the soil was hard and clay and so I mulched it and mixed it and fertilized it and planted some zucchini and squash and I think I tried to grow a few cherry tomatoes. And it never did really well. I honestly don't remember if we ever even ate a zucchini off that plant. I do remember eating a few cherry tomatoes. And then a few years later, I learned that houses in Arizona are treated with a termite barrier. And if you dig the ground around the foundation of the house, you violate the termite barrier. Oops, I don't know who's living in the house now. I really hope that they don't have termites, have never had a termite problem. And then after living eight, nine years in Arizona, we actually moved back to Utah into a house where we had a large garden spot. And I was thrilled, could hardly wait to start turning the ground and getting seeds planted. And every year since moving to Utah, I have attempted to grow peas. And a couple of times we've had enough, we've gotten a good enough crop that my kids and I could actually sit around a table and have a conversation while we shelled peas, which is what I dream of because I miss that part of our world where neighbors would get together and sit on the front porch and snap beans or shell peas while having conversations. And only a couple of times have we gotten enough of a crop to be able to do that. Last year, I planted exactly the same way I have every other year and only a couple of pea plants even popped up through the earth. This year, They're looking actually pretty good so far. For rows, they're pretty thick, but who knows what will happen before June when they can be harvested. I don't know whether I'll get a good harvest of peas this year or not. Also, last spring, my Cub Scout den came over and we planted carrot seeds together. And I talked up to these boys how yummy and crunchy and sweet these fresh garden carrots would be in the fall. And not one single carrot grew from two rows of seeds we planted. So in this case, it's good news that eight and nine year old boys have short memories because I had really sold the whole grow your own healthy vegetable concept. And I'd planned to take carrot sticks as den meeting refreshments, but come August, I did not say a word. And I continued to bring the processed and packaged store bought rice, crispy treats. Gardening is a gamble. And if there is one lesson you learn from gardening, which by the way, there isn't one lesson. There are a gazillion lessons to be learned from gardening. I think every life lesson can be traced back to a gardening metaphor. But for today's purposes, the one lesson you really learn from gardening is that not everything you plant will grow. This begs the question, why even bother? And it is a legitimate question. Every year, when I pull out the pea seeds, my husband asks why I bother planting peas when I can buy a five pound bag already shelled from Costco for $5. And five pounds is more than I generally successfully produce from my garden. But for me, there are a lot of reasons. For one, Peas do well in cooler temperatures, and so they're some of the first vegetables you can plant in the season. And by March, I am done with winter and hankering to get out a shovel, turn some dirt, and get something planted in the earth. And there is something magical about picking a pod off a plant and not knowing how many peas will be inside when you crack it open. Maybe there will be two, but maybe, maybe this pod will have eight, or nine, or ten peas, and your tongue and tummy feel so bounteous when you slide your teeth down the open pod, delivering those fresh, sweet garden buttons to your mouth. But more than that, there is something powerful about activating the law of the harvest in my life. But it can be so frustrating when I've tilled and toiled, and watered and weeded, and there are only a few curly sprigs of growth to show for all my labor, particularly when I look over the fence into the neighbor's yard and see that her crops are thriving. So in today's podcast, we're gaining some perspective that while it's easy to look at other people's harvest and think that it happened quickly and easily for them, that they have a green thumb and everything that they touch turns to gold, that is not the truth. There are three messages, three perspective shifts to take away from today's podcast episode. One, that not everything you plant grows. Not everything you plant is going to yield a bumper crop. Number two, the harvest takes time. And number three, the actual harvest season is short-lived. So knowing these three truths, that not everything you plant yields a bumper crop, that the harvest takes time, and that the actual harvest season is very brief, very short-lived, does that mean that we shouldn't plant? Does that mean we should just save our energy and our efforts and not ever try to get anything to grow? This past January, my high school junior wanted to organize a co-ed soccer team for the community. So in his age group, our community rec league doesn't organize teams and coaches anymore. If you want to play at that age level, you are responsible to get enough players. There have to be a certain number of girls, a certain number of boys. You have to find someone who will agree to coach you. And so he was persuading and organizing. And the evening of the deadline, I was driving him around, we were chasing down parental permission forms and registration checks. He was trying to convince a couple of more girls to join the team and he didn't have quite enough. And we were trying to persuade the lady at the rec center to extend the deadline. And it was all this chasing around and all of this hassle. And lo and behold, we had no idea that COVID-19 in just a few short weeks would have everyone locked indoors, social distanced, and that there would be no soccer season. And it's one of those things that can make you bang your head against the wall and go, why do I even bother? You know what I mean? What are things that you've worked for and put effort into that have never come to fruition? A little over 10 years ago, I started a blog. I had signed up for a local writing class offered through my arts council. It was the first time that I had said, yes, I Like writing, and I want to try to do this. And so I began keeping a blog. And for several years, I kept a faithful blog. And it never really gathered a lot of followers. It was mostly my family life, but precious memories for me that I kept. And then we got remodeling the house, and it got neglected, and got doing some other things, and it got hacked. And people hacked into the blog and started using the site to sell, of all things, handbags, and sunglasses. Thank goodness they didn't hack it to sell drugs and pornography. I can be thankful for that. But long story short, it's all lost. All of that blog is lost. I don't have anything to show for it anymore. Another example I wanna share is my Facebook feed these last few days have been popping up with memories reminding me that exactly four years ago in May of 2016, I was launching a website called mamalia.com and it was this vision I had to create a location where moms could come and in one place, take mothering classes, learn cooking and housekeeping and organization skills, which that's pretty funny to think that I would have anything to teach about organization. But in any case, this was my vision and it got launched and got off to a good start At the same time, I had also, things had happened that I had decided to resume writing what would become this book, Lies of the Magpie. It was something I had decided to put away in order to do the mamalia.com and then things changed. But so as a result, I no longer have this mamalia.com website and I had put tons and tons of hours. I had learned JavaScript. I had learned web design. When you tinker around with websites, you know how tricky and complicated they can be. And I was proud. I had done a lot of the work on my own, but I have to say my husband had also toiled and labored and invested hours and hours and hours. And four years later, I'm not doing anything with that particular project. So Is all of that wasted because I'm not really experiencing a harvest from it? Some seeds take hold and grow a few inches only to wither. Some seeds never sprout at all. And there are all kinds of reasons for why this can happen. But what does it mean for us? Does it mean our time, our effort, money, energy, and hope are wasted if what we plant and cultivate doesn't yield a harvest? And here I want to share some insights from a person who gambled on a garden in a big way. For me, if things don't grow in my garden, like I mentioned before, I can simply go to the grocery store and purchase the frozen peas. It's not a big deal. But for this person, the gamble of a garden had a little bit more risk involved. I've been reading this comes from Michelle Obama's memoir, Becoming. And whether you're Republican or Democrat or whatever, I invite you to just put politics aside because there are some real gems in this story. Let me give you a little background. So Michelle Obama grew up in the city in Chicago, on the south side of Chicago. She'd never grown up gardening. There probably wasn't even really any land around her to grow a garden. No one in her family gardened. She didn't really know people that grew a garden that raised their own vegetables to eat, they ate pretty much what every American living in a city eats, what's available at the grocery stores, what's sold on commercials, you know, the processed packaged foods that make up our standard American diet. And then at one of her daughter's well-child checkups, and this was long before running for president and living in the White House, being the first lady, at one of her daughter's well-child visits, her daughter was diagnosed with childhood obesity. And this was really a wake-up call for Mrs. Obama. Um, if You know the Obamas at all. They're pretty fit people. Their gym in the White House was really well-used. And her daughter physically didn't look overweight. But it gave Michelle pause about how they were eating. And she realized they were eating out far too much, ate at drive-thrus and fast food places too much. And she had to make a conscious effort to incorporate more fresh fruits and vegetables into their family's diet. So fast forward years later, and she becomes first lady, much to her surprise, and finds herself in the White House with an opportunity to promote something to benefit the country. And this experience really stays with her. And having grown up in the city, she knows what it's like for many children, for many families in America to not be educated about fresh fruits and vegetables, to not have access to them, that they're largely more expensive than the cheaper processed foods. And so she decides that she wants to plant a garden at the White House. And I remember when she did this, and I was surprised that there was not a vegetable garden at the White House. I just assumed that the White House has lovely flower gardens and rose bushes and, you know, they have people hired to care for the grounds. And so I just assumed that they probably grew a lot of their own vegetables that were served when dignitaries came for dinner at the White House. But that was not the case. In fact, she had to do a lot of persuading to the National Park Service and to the White House grounds team to tear up a patch, as she says it, of one of the most iconic lawns in the world. Her idea was met with a lot of resistance. There had not been a garden planted at the White House since Eleanor Roosevelt had planted a victory garden. And she said, frankly, that a lot of people just thought we were insane. But eventually they got people on board And they were allotted a tiny plot of land tucked away by a tool shed. And so to get their garden started, they invite some school children over from a local school and they use shovels and hoes to prepare the soil. And then a few weeks after that, they have the same kids to come back to help with the planting. And here I want to quote what she says about the process. Our patch of dirt sat not far from the southern fence along E Street, where tourists often congregated to gaze up at the White House. I was glad that this would now be a part of their view. Or at least I hoped to be glad at some point, because with a garden, you never know for sure what will or won't happen, whether anything in fact will grow. We'd invited the media to cover the planting. We'd invited all the White House chefs to help us, along with the Secretary of Agriculture, we'd asked everyone to watch what we were doing, and now we had to wait for the results. And as Michelle knelt in the dirt with a group of fifth graders carefully putting seedlings into the ground, all she could think of was, honestly, this had better work. I love this story. Obviously, you know, gardening has a special place in my heart. I grew up gardening and eating fresh vegetables. My parents taught me how to garden. Their parents before them kept gardens. And so I've seen it and know that it can work. And it's still a risky gamble for me every time I plant seeds in the ground, not knowing what will happen. And so I can't imagine for Michelle Obama, she really goes into the White House as a foreigner and... Just her moxie at convincing people to tear up a patch of grass to plant a garden, something she's never done before, and something she has no idea if it will work or if it will be a big flop. So why did she do it? I love this, and I'm going to quote this from her book. As the morning went on, we planted lettuce and spinach and broccoli, which she later goes on to call baroccoli. We put in carrots and collard greens and onion and shell peas. We planted berry bushes and a lot of herbs. What would come from it? I didn't know. The same way I didn't know what lay ahead for us in the White House, nor what lay ahead for the country or for any of these sweet children around me. All we could do then was put our faith into the effort, trusting that with sun and rain and time, something half-decent would push up through the dirt. And that leads us so nicely into our second point, that the harvest takes time. Years ago, I saw an interview with Katherine Heigl on The Oprah Winfrey Show. It must have been years ago because Oprah still had a daytime TV show back before she owned the own network. And Catherine was a popular actress on Grey's Anatomy. And at that time, she was having some success in some major Hollywood films. And Oprah asked how she had come to have such a spurt of success. And Catherine said, I've been working in TV and film for 10 years. And Oprah said, really? You were? Where? I haven't seen you in anything. And Catherine said, well, you know, mostly I've done some Hallmark movies. And for some reason on that day, this interview really struck me. And I had this realization that for me a non-celebrity spectator, when I see someone on television in an interview and it looks like they've become an overnight success, that in reality, there have been years and years of work leading up to that moment. But we don't often process this when we see someone who's doing what we want to be doing or we look at them and we think that it's all glory and harvest and yummy fruit. And we don't take into account the years and years of work and cultivating and preparation that have led up to that moment. Another example of this is I love the actress Rebel Wilson. She's been in Pitch Perfect. She just did Isn't That Romantic, which is just such a fun parody of the rom-com genre. And she's from Australia. And, you know, when she got cast in Pitch Perfect, it was easy to think, oh, she had just, she's this young actress and she just suddenly made it big, you know, somehow she got discovered from Australia and she's, you know, in Hollywood now doing all of these big time successes. But when you learn more about her story, she actually has a law degree um, that she got in a university in Australia. But while she was doing law school, she was writing TV roles and sketches and things for herself and creating her own content because she's not this stereotypical Hollywood actress that's, you know, six feet tall and skinny as a bean pole. And she worked years and years to write her own scripts and create her own roles before she became who we know of as a Hollywood star. As humans working towards an endeavor, a goal, there's an easy tendency to expect that someone else will make us successful. Someone else will discover us and see our talent and sponsor that talent and support it and make it happen for us. Maybe that happened back in the glory days of Hollywood when Sally Field was discovered in a little cafe or other people might have been discovered. But Today, it's much more about being self-made. What you want, you work for. And you plant the seeds and you sow it and work it and cultivate it. As much as we live in a microwave society and we like things to happen lickety-split fast, the truth is that the harvest takes time. And there's wisdom in this too. It allows us to prepare ourselves to develop our characters and to become the kind of person that can support the results of the harvest. Going back to Michelle Obama's story, over the weeks and months, she would watch the garden from the Truman Balcony. I could see the fullness of the garden taking shape on the southwest corner of the lawn. For me, it was a gratifying sight, a miniature Eden in progress. And the good news is, yes, their garden worked. The spinach grew. They were able to invite the school kids back to harvest some peas and lettuce and to eat their own salad for lunch. And it's interesting. I don't know what's happened to the White House garden today. I don't know if it's still there, if anyone is still planting things and taking care of it. But I love the message that comes from a garden and what a spectacular thing to have at our nation's capital, this example of planting seeds and putting forth effort, having faith to grow something, even if you can't control the results, even if you can't guarantee there will be enough rain or enough sunshine or that those seeds will actually produce. But the message of planting the seeds anyway, I think is a powerful, powerful metaphor for life. The last point that it is important to discuss as we increase our perspective about planting seeds, work, and hoping for results is this. The actual harvest is short. It's short-lived. And then it's right back to work. Glory days, if they exist, can be pretty brief. A great example of this that kind of ties all these principles together is my peach tree. Now, some years, my peach tree will have a bumper crop and we have bushels and bushels of sweet, delicious fruit to eat. Other years, the blossoms freeze or they get a bug. And this is one of those years we have maybe, maybe a dozen peaches that are growing on our tree. But even when the tree has a bumper crop, they are already at the same time. And we have two weeks, maybe three weeks is all. Out of the 52 weeks of an entire year, we have two, maybe three weeks where we can eat fresh peaches off the tree. And I always wish I could change this. I wish I could stretch it out so that I could have fresh peaches all summer long, rather than having them come on all at once to the point that we get so sick of eating fresh peaches that we're almost just ready for them to be done. And I think, well, why can't we have a few ripe in early June and some more in July and some more in August, rather than just having them all come on all at once. But that's the way it works. That is the way of the harvest. And when those three weeks are done and the peaches are emptied from the tree, then it's time to fertilize the tree, mulch the ground around and go right back to work, nurturing that tree. And then in the spring, it's time to prune, fertilize again, nurture the tree. It's 11 months of work for one month of harvest. Yeah, that sounds about right. There is a big application of these principles for you mamas with littles. You work 11 months of the year. You work 12 months of the year. You work a lot for very little return. For months, that baby doesn't even smile as a thank you for the -the round-the-clock feedings and changing poop explosions up the back. And even when the baby does smile, you aren't sure if it meant anything or if it was just gas bubbles. Then it's a full year before the child can even say mama and another six to 12 months before they can learn thank you, which just because they learn how to say it doesn't mean that they're actually going to use it. So it's very easy to think, why do I bother I try to prepare nutritious meals and make vegetables look enticing when they'd rather eat cotton candy covered with ice cream for dinner and they'd be a lot happier and it'd be a whole lot easier for me. My son just today reminded me, he said, mom, where did you get that? How did you make that? Where did you get that snowball soup that we used to eat? There's no such thing as snowball soup. When they were little, there was this soup that had carrots and celery and vegetables and chicken in it. And it had this little tiny pasta, round pasta in it. And I would call it snowball soup so that they would eat it because eating snowballs is so exciting. You know what I'm talking about, moms, right? You work and come up with all of these creative ways to get your children to brush their own teeth. So that when they're 30 years old, they don't have a mouth full of rotting teeth. And you're doing all of these things for them that they don't even care about and don't even appreciate. And you're like, why do I even bother? And mamas, all I can say is it will be worth it. It's so hard right now because you see few results. You see very little outcome for all of these labors, but I can promise you Though the harvest here is a long time coming, the effort you put in today will pay off in the future. Everything you invest in your family and your kids, it will pay off, I promise. For years and years I read bedtime stories and my husband thought I was crazy because most of the time I would go in and read a story and fall sound asleep, which then meant that we would miss our nighttime together. And he, I think, rolled his eyes about it a lot and just wondered why I did it. But it was just something my mom did with me and that I know if there's one good thing you can do with your kids, it's read. Read to your kids. It's like the biggest thing you can do to help them be successful in their life. Read. Just go to the library, check out books, read a ton. And guess what? My kids turned out to be mostly literate. They've been able to do their own schoolwork and they've gotten decent ACT scores, but it took like 15 years of planting and fertilizing and nurturing and cultivating to see any results from it at all. So the harvest takes time. And then even when the harvest comes, it's pretty short-lived and then you're right back to work again. What I've learned in my life is that when I get discouraged, when it feels that I'm working really hard and not seeing any progress, it is usually because I've gotten too focused on results. And especially in comparing my results to the results of other people. I've learned that the most effective thing for me is to focus on my efforts and leave the results to God. There is so much... Out of our control. We cannot predict when we're organizing a soccer team that everyone is going to be social distancing two months from now. I can't predict that I'll write a blog that will get hacked and lose every entry. So why bother with any effort at all? Because our efforts make us who we are. And because, and I can promise this, that when you put in the effort, something will grow. And do you know why I can promise? Because you will grow. And really when all is said and done in this world, you are what you are building. Your character, your personality, your attributes, those are the real fruits of every labor you undertake. So carry on, plant seeds, nurture those seedlings, hold out hope for the harvest. But if it doesn't happen, keep planting, keep cultivating, and eventually, if nothing else, you will be the greatest result of your harvest. This is Malia Warner. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Remember to take a minute if you haven't and leave a review on iTunes and I will meet you back here next week for another great episode of The Power Podcast. Have a good one, my friends. Bye-bye.